Hey there, welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. I had a really crummy sleep last night. Um, <laughs> I read I read my book until um, eh, it might have been close to midnight. I couldn't keep my eyes open any longer. Um, just turned the light off. Uh, tried to fall asleep, lay there for a bit, and then quite suddenly, boink, I was wide awake. Like, hadn't slept at all. I was wide awake. So I just lay there, and the the only good thing that came of it was that um, I've recently, I guess you could say this is a good thing about uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, I, I've I've rediscovered an ability that I used to have. So a long time ago, I used to be able to do a lot of writing just in my head. I'd be able to sit there and just think, and I would write entire scenes in my head, conversations between the characters and, and so on and so forth. And then I, over the years, I've lost my ability to do that because I suppose as I get older, I've been gotten busier. There's been more stuff on my mind and more things to think about. And that all of that, that ability to silence all of that stuff, just, you know, the, the, the ability to write in my head just got crowded out. And with COVID, I now don't go to work. Um, I don't go to band rehearsals. And all of a sudden, I'm I'm at home, like, all the time. So suddenly my brain is quieted down. So this is the second time in in since since COVID began that I've actually been able to just kind of lie there and contemplate my story and solve problems and figure things out. So what you may not know when you're listening to uh, Gatekeeper's Key is that I'm kind of working on three books at once. Gatekeeper's Key is book one. Gatekeeper's Deception has been written and it's in the editing phase, and ga- uh, Gatekeeper's Revelation, as it is currently called, uh, it's not written yet. I'm working on it. <laughs> it's been, it's been a real slog, I have to say. So for me to be able to just lie there and think about my story and solve problems is like so cool. Now here's the really weird thing: all the while I'm thinking about this, I have. Knees up Mother Brown going through my head. If anybody has any theories on um, what that means, uh, you know, do share, because I'm curious. Anyway, so I'm a bit sleepy today, but I'm really happy that I solved those problems with book three, and uh, we'll hear that someday. (laughs) It's all worth it, I suppose. So here we come with episode seven. Gatekeeper's Key by Krista Wallace. Chapter seven, acting on impulse. Once in the foyer, leaving the party in the great hall behind, Kier changed her mind. The glow from the torches and candelabra on tables and corbels gave the entrance hall a shadowy warmth. The sounds from the hall were several notches more subdued out here. Her agitation was instantly calmer. Although the day had been long, it wasn't really sleep she required, but fresh air. Her head needed to be cleared of the noise and music, the wine and the smoke, before she would be ready to retire. 
The Lady Alon Mare looked down at her encouragingly from her portrait. Kier greeted her with a nod before passing underneath. Pulling open the huge front door, she stepped past the sentries who stood at attention and out into the inner ward of the castle. Her mood already considerably improved, she followed the path away from the door. The torchlight faded behind her. Ahead, the flagstone path was a meandering river into shadow. The lateness of the hour meant that those people who weren't at the feast were either in their quarters or on duty. Three soldiers left the barracks and headed toward the gate, but in her dark colors they missed her. She needed this alone time. The constant company of her traveling companions after so long on her own was something to get used to. She could still hear the music from the hall through the high windows, but it did not intrude on the stillness and serenity of the castle yard. The evening air was uncommonly warm despite the clarity of the sky, and Kier felt no need for her cloak. She was glad because getting it would mean having to go all the way back to her room. She circumnavigated the inner ward and decided she was still not ready to retire, so she made her way to one of the towers with designs on seeing what the city looked like from above. She wandered to the southwest tower. The short, bearded guard at the door stopped her. "'May I help you?' he asked. "'I want to walk along the battlements. How far do I have to climb?' He stepped back to open the door for her, his sword-hilt knocking gently against the heavy wood. "'It's on the third level,' he directed. "'But there will be three doors. The one in the centre is the tower entrance, and the other is to the south wing. The one you want is the door on the right.' "'Thanks.' She began the long, dizzying climb up the circular staircase, grateful for the rope along the wall to hold on to. Too damn many stairs. When she reached the third level, she paused to catch her breath. He had said the door on the left was the south wing, and she felt just a little proud for guessing that this was the tower nearest her room. Saving it for later, she opened the right-hand door, breathing a sigh of relief at choosing the correct one. She was on the southwest battlement at the front of the castle. It overlooked the outer ward and the gate to the city. She jumped at the voice in the darkness. Who comes? Kier turned swiftly to find the owner of the voice. She could barely see him in the shadows. Uh, Kier Halladin, I'm a guest of his lordship. The thick-necked sentry took a step closer and peered into the darkness to get a better look at her. Oh, so you're the woman who arrived with Lord Valraker this afternoon. That would be me. Word travels fast, she thought. She took her leave of him and crossed the parapet to an embrasure. This was a perfect vantage point to view the city, and what a view! The stars frosted the sky with no more than a slit of a moon to upstage them. Beyond the outer curtain of the castle, shale at night was spread out before her like a vast relief map, dark in some areas, others dotted with tiny lights of lamps lining the streets. Glimmers of lamp and firelight spilled out from what Kier concluded must be taverns, the stars shimmered on the surface of the river that groped its shadowy arm through the south end of the city. She could just make out the gatehouse of the city wall in the distance and wondered what it must be like to be lord of such a place. Three such places! Imagine being Kian Barthelon and standing in this spot, surveying his land, his city. <sighs> she breathed deeply of the sweet air. What pride he must feel to plant his feet on the parapet of his castle— and gaze out over it all. And he had two others. What if all this were mine, she thought. The door of the gatehouse to her right opened, and someone emerged, but she didn't bother to see who it was. She didn't know anyone anyway. The footsteps approached, and stopped. I thought you were going to bed. 
I changed my mind, she said. After riding all day and sitting all evening, I needed a walk more than sleep. Sir Frederick joined her at the wall. What do you think of shale? the captain asked. I guess I should ask if you've been here before. No, I haven't. It's pretty impressive. Would you like me to show you around tomorrow? Don't you have to work during the day? Kier asked. In my position, I can easily have someone else fill my place for the afternoon if I choose. Besides, it is one of my duties to ensure the happiness of Lord Kean's guests. As the final trace of Asp Moon appeared at his ear from behind the gatehouse, she regarded him with a new perspective. It seemed that the fresh air had taken his edge off. Much as his suggestion appealed to her, she had already been promised a tour. Actually, Derry made the same offer earlier, so thanks, but I should take him up first. Would you not prefer to be led by someone who lives here and is therefore more acquainted with all the goings-on in the city? Perhaps you can show me anything that Derry misses, she proposed as a compromise, puzzled that it was so important to him. Well, if that is what you prefer. Yes, it is, she said, peeved. After a time, he said, How did you meet Lord Valraker? We met in a tavern. I shared a bottle of wine with him, and he introduced himself. Her duel with Simon was nobody's business. And he asked you to join him just like that? It wasn't that simple. How long have you worked for Kean? He bought into her abrupt change of direction. I've been captain of the guard for eight years. His voice sounded nonchalant, but she could not miss the odd sidelong glance to check for her reaction. Her expression remained politely focused, but not enthralled. Before that, I served on the guard itself for ten years, proving my worth to Lord Kean as well as the governors who have served him. And from the time I was ten, I worked as a squire. I have been involved in the protection of shale in both a minor and major capacity for most of my life. I doubt there are many who could say that, she said. A few, perhaps. Your friend Derry, now, he hasn't been in Lord Valraker's service nearly that long. It struck her that Sir Frederick wanted her to be more impressed with him than she was with Derry, and though she had not been on the best of terms with Derry all evening, she had known him a week, during which he had earned her loyalty as a friend. That's true, Kier conceded, turning back to the view of the city below, but consider that he's about, what, ten years younger than you? And he's Valraker's captain, your equal. I don't believe that Valraker's standards are any lower than Kean's. Sir Frederick's body stiffened at her words. Far be it from me to speak ill of someone who is, as you put it, my equal. Kier noticed his emphasis on this last word. But young Derry has a lot to learn, and there's a reason why he has not yet been knighted. I don't doubt that it will follow one day, but it will be a long time coming. His tone became almost fatherly. You have known Derry for a week, and I'm sure his professional behavior has been impressive to you in that time. If it had been daylight, Sir Frederick may have been insulted by the grimace he would have seen on Kier's face. It's true, she reasoned, though deeds mean more to me than an appearance of competence. Truth is, had you been with us this last week, you may have had an opportunity to impress me as much as Derry has. Sir Frederick said nothing for a moment. When he spoke again, it was with the determined, calm tone one uses after counting to ten— "'Well, as I was not with you on your travels, I cannot guess what transpired. I shall have to take your word for it.' She'd pushed him to his limit, and Kier decided it was time to end the exchange. With an easy manner, she said, "'Listen, I'm the first one to say that Derry takes life far too seriously. And yes, he is young for a captain, but his youth shouldn't be held against him when he does so much to prove that he's worthy of the position.' 
A truce had been called, and Sir Frederick accepted it with good grace, relaxing and recovering his friendly side again. "'That may be so, Kier. It's only that I've never had the pleasure of working closely with him, I suppose. Now what of yourself? Do you wish to be knighted one day?' Kier laughed. "'Whoa! One thing at a time. I only just joined Valraker. I have no thought at all about a knighthood.' "'Surely you've dreamed about becoming a knight some day. Most young warriors do.' "'Do they?' I suppose some day that might be appealing, but I've never had any thought about dedicating myself to any one person or cause. Right now I'm content to work for Valraker on this one mission. After that, I'll be open to other possibilities. I'm curious, Frederick went on. After all, you yourself said that Valraker's standards are as high as Kean's. How did you find favor with the Duke? Bloody persistent on this point, isn't he? Kier pierced him with a look of challenge. Perhaps while I'm here I'll have the opportunity to show you, and at the same time you can demonstrate to me why you deserve to be captain of the guard. His face was silhouetted against the splash of silvery stars. The shadows softened his features and reduced the aging effect of the scars and wrinkles that experience had given him. Never mind that he was about fourteen years her senior, he was pleasing to her eye. He regarded her with the same expression as when they first laid eyes on each other at the city gate, and she liked it as much now as she did then. She allowed the turn of her lip to beckon. His eyes glowed like embers in the night. He leaned down and kissed her. She was not even mildly surprised and did not resist. She couldn't be certain, but Kier had the feeling that this move was not part of a natural progression for him. He had made up his mind to prove something to her— she was content to go along with it. What harm could it do? He was arrogant, but attractive enough. Admittedly, this very thing had crossed her mind several times since that moment at the gate. Stillness surrounded them. The guard at the door to the tower must be there, but he was motionless. Even the breeze was hushed. I don't know what to make of you, Kier. You are unlike any other woman. You don't behave or speak like other women, and I'm having a hard time figuring out how to— to react to you. He brushed the back of her hair with his fingers. On top of that, you're a personal guest of Kean's, and I would be defying my duty as his captain to treat you disrespectfully, but I find I can't help it. His calloused fingers on her cheek and the back of her neck sent a tingling to the small of her back. Nobody's accusing you of disrespect, she replied. Do you have to tell Kean everything you do in your spare time? Of course not. Her head tilted slyly. Well, I'm not inclined to tell him. His reaction was immediate. Come. He did not take her hand, but walked to the tower door. She followed. The guard saluted his captain as he passed. Kier nodded to the guard and began the long climb down the steps. Before opening the door on the ground, Frederick turned, grabbing her where she stood on the bottom step, and kissed her hard, as if making sure this was still the plan. She let him know, in no uncertain terms, that it was. Sir Frederick opened the door. The guard snapped to attention upon recognizing his commander, but no words were exchanged. Frederick led Kier across the lawn to the building that housed the barracks. They hurried up the steps and slipped into Frederick's room. He closed the shutters and lit some candles, a lamp, and a fire to take the chill off. She removed her weapon belt, unlaced her waistcoat, and was draped on his bed in only tunic and breeches before he had even finished puttering. She watched him with a coy half-smile as he took off his sword, mantle, mail coat, and other pieces of dress armor that he wore for the banquet. She chuckled. "'What's so funny?' he said. <laughs> "'Nothing, really. 
It's only that there seems to be at least one drawback to being captain. I'm apt to be sound asleep here by the time you've finished with all that. Well, I guess I'd just have to wake you up again, wouldn't I? She feigned weariness and closed her eyes. He wouldn't stand for that. Finishing speedily, he pounced on her and she stifled a squeal. I'm sure it will be worth the wait, my dear, he kissed her neck. You let me be the judge of that, great Sir Frederick. Never mind the sir nonsense, all right? Yes, sir, Sir Frederick, sir. Her insolence was vanquished rapidly with his lips on hers. Then they traveled to her neck, her ear. His short beard rubbed her skin with pleasant roughness. As his hands moved around her body, he soon found her medallion and inquired about it, caressing the violet gem in its center. "'Family heirloom,' she whispered, and changed the subject by pulling the laces on his breeches. He rolled over onto his back. "'Who are you, Kier?' She said nothing but began to draw his tunic out of his trousers. "'You enter this city, a woman fighter, working for Valraker, no less. And when I asked him, even he said he doesn't know anything about you.' He tickled her back with the end of her braid. "'No more than he needs to,' she said. "'It must be very disconcerting.' She ran her hands up under his tunic and toyed with the curls on his chest. To be in such a position of responsibility, yet unable to learn everything you think you ought to know about a person. Look at it this way. If I were a man, all that you already know would be enough for you. But since I'm a woman, there must be something strange going on. You know, she said, you ought to be a bit more wary. Her hands continued their work. Of what, you little upstart? He scoffed with a grin as he flipped her over on her back and took the upper position himself. Look at you, fresh-faced, hardly a mark on you. Do you really mean to tell me how to do my duty? Oh, incidentally, speaking of that, she said, speaking of what? Well, you said before that it's occasionally one of your duties to make sure the Duke's guests are happy. I just wanted to know if I'm a duty or a pleasure. Oh, you are most definitely a pleasure. He brought his face down to hers. The sweet aroma of wine was still on his breath. Good, because I was a bit concerned that you would have to go provide the same service for each of my colleagues. He laughed and kissed her. You're the only one I'm interested in giving pleasure to at the moment. Ah, very good, she sighed. Mind you, that brings us back to where we were before. Where were we before? He blinked in bewilderment. I mentioned that you ought to be a little bit more wary of who you associate with. Her fingers inside his tunic came across the familiar smoothness of a long, wide scar on his upper arm. "'Oh, yes,' he said. "'And why was that again?' "'Like you said yourself.' From inside, she pushed the sleeve down, forcing his arm out of it. "'Nobody really knows much about me. It's possible that I've told everyone the truth, that I was bored of living in a tiny village, and along came Valraker to rescue me from monotony. But maybe—' She pulled his tunic over his head and brought her voice down to a whisper. Just maybe, I have some deep, dark, secret reason why I traveled south to find Valraker. How do you know I'm not working for Dregor trying to get information from you? She grinned wickedly. He was startled, but his expression lightened when he caught on. Well, you're making an awful lot of assumptions, young lady. He traced his finger down her cheek. How do you know this isn't a setup? Maybe Valraker and Kean have suspicions about that very thing and asked me to get information from you. Then I won't say another word. I will reveal nothing. Hmm, that's too bad, he kissed her throat. There are a few things I was really hoping you would reveal. His hand caressed her breast through the soft linen of her tunic. She breathed in sharply. You can just forget that now. 
Oh, well then, maybe I'll have to resort to more drastic measures, he whispered in her ear. Reaching his hand up under his pillow, he pulled forth a dagger and laid it so the hilt nestled between her breasts and its cold steel touched her throat. Her senses stirred mercilessly. Mm, her breath quivered. I've never made love at knife point before. She clutched his body. There would be no stopping now. "'Have you decided whether or not you're working for the enemy?' he asked when the kiss was over. "'What difference does it make at this point?' she hissed, her hand reaching inside his breeches. He let out a gasp. "'So we can choose whether we're going to make love or if I'm going to kill you.' He was trying to smile, but the rest of his body wouldn't allow it. "'Decision's already been made,' she managed to say. "'We're definitely making love. We can decide about killing later.' She took the knife and let it fall to the floor." Kier awoke with a shiver. The fire had died, welcoming back the chill. They were covered with nothing more than the linen sheet. It was still dark. Good. She slid out from under the sheet, adjusted it, and drew the blankets up over Frederick before groping around for her clothes. Frederick's arm reached out from under the covers and brushed her shoulder. "'Where are you going?' he asked sleepily. "'It wouldn't be a good idea for me to still be here when the sun comes up.' He drew her to him. I suppose not. Promise me you'll come again? She kissed him fully, but patted his cheek. I'm not foolish enough to make any promises at this time of the night, but I'll see you later. Oh, all right. He grumbled childishly and rolled over. She dressed and slipped out the door, now wishing she had her cloak. It was too early in the year for the warmth of the day to survive the chill of the night. She walked briskly across the lawn to the tower she had climbed to reach the battlement. The guard opened the door wordlessly. When she reached the third level, she paused to get her bearings. The one in the middle is the tower door. Convinced that her choice was correct, she opened the door on the left, revealing Janik, much more of Janik than she ever wished to see, exiting the garderobe to return to his room, his horrified expression transformed into a deep scowl. He slammed his door, and she hurried along to her own tiny apartment and undressed again. The one thing she had to do before she could crawl into the blankets was to find in the bottom of a saddlebag a muslin pouch that contained the serrated leaves of a powerful herb. Drawing out three tiny leaves, she put them in her mouth and chewed them, shuddering at the unpleasant taste. She chased them down with a sip of water and got quickly into bed, glad that the herb's only major side effect was drowsiness. Thankful she wasn't expected to awaken with the dawn, she sank into sleep. Kiera woke the next morning feeling well-rested and energetic despite her late night. She dressed, in her own clothes this time, and opened her door to find a bundle resting outside. It was her freshly laundered tunics and underthings, cleaner than she had seen them in weeks. Dropping them in the chest, she went out. A petite, dark-haired servant greeted her at the top of the stairs. The girl curtsied. "'I'm to escort you to the breakfast room, miss.' The breakfast room turned out to be the same room in which they had met Kian the day before. When she entered, a cry went up within. "'Here she is at last!' Kian waved her to an empty chair. "'Shall we tell her what her punishment is for sleeping late?' "'Punishment?' said Kier with playful scepticism. "'If I'd known there would be punishment, I'd have been much more determined to find discomfort in my accommodations. "'My, how skillfully she hides her trepidation by casually throwing in a compliment!' Kian said to Valraker with mock amazement. As a reward for your cleverness, you will avoid the pillory this time, but mark you, I will not be so forgiving next time. Kier grinned and sat. 
The room had been rearranged to accommodate a table for the meal. Most of the others had finished eating, but Fennel was helping himself to another heaping plateful of potatoes pan-fried with tomatoes. Kier wondered how many had preceded it. She filled her bowl with bread, cheese, and some fresh fruit, while Derry poured her some watered wine. "'We all decided that the last two to join us would have to start off the training in the field today.' Valraker's gray eyes laughed. "'You'll notice who is yet missing. He will be your opponent.' Kier looked around and finally realized who the lucky fellow would be. "'Janik, how lovely,' she said cheerfully. "'I didn't even miss him until you pointed out that he wasn't here.' She took a bite of peach and had to slurp the juice off her hand and wrist. I'm sure he'll welcome the opportunity to put me in my place. And he will make the most of it, you know, Valraker said. Without a doubt, but I'll give it my best. Incidentally, Valraker, I'm ready for that discussion you promised whenever you are. Excellent. Perhaps later today, then. Kier inquired after Jaskelin's visit to the guildhouse. He straightened. Fine, he grunted, hardly making eye contact with her. Fine. Great. She tried to surmise how she'd offended him. Janik entered the room amid a chorus of hurrahs. Only the presence of Key and Barthelin stayed his tongue from a doubtless nasty reply. Upon hearing of his punishment, he merely glared at his opponent with wild satisfaction. I'll be there, he growled. Will you? Wouldn't miss it. I'm in a tizzy with anticipation. Kier was not overconfident. She was well aware of the dwarf's skill and had no intention of taking him lightly, but there was no way she would let him see that she was nervous. He would likely best her, but she hoped she would not make it easy for him. "'I'm surprised to see you up this early,' he said sarcastically as he sat in the last vacant chair, which chanced to be right across from her. "'You were out much later than the rest of us.' He seemed pleased to drop hints that might provoke a scandal. She paid no heed to the curious glances that turned her way. That's true, she calmly spread butter on her bread. So what's your excuse for getting up later than I did? Without waiting for an answer, she added, were you warm enough? Of course, he answered gruffly. Oh, good, I was worried you might have caught a chill. She gave him a look of concern, which made him glower, though he carried it no further. Dunveran, may I have a word? Derry said as the rest of the group filed out to the practice field. Kean politely exited as well. Of course, Valraker said, adjusting his tone and demeanor to match the use of his formal name. I wonder if I might speak to you about Kier, Derry began. I know her fighting is impressive. I have witnessed it myself, but my concern lies with her outspokenness. Dunvarin's eyebrows went up, but he remained still. She demonstrated her relaxed attitude here this morning, which adds to, uh, perhaps further illustrates my point of view, but I am referring specifically to her introduction to Lord Kean yesterday. Ah, yes. I know he did not appear to be offended by her comments, Derry went on, but still I cannot help but doubt her readiness for a mission such as the one before us. Is it wise for us to have in our party a person who does not know how to conduct herself in situations where diplomacy is required? It may prove detrimental. Listening to himself, his words sounded overwrought, and he wondered briefly why Kier's comment had bothered him so much, but he said nothing more. Dunvarin regarded him, thoughtfully massaging a knuckle, I agree, he said carefully, though I am not sure that we have yet seen a lack of diplomacy, but rather a refreshing directness. Derry shrugged. Are you of the opinion that she should be left out of this mission? I'm not sure, Derry replied with a sigh. 
She's very young. We're crossing enemy lines. Will she bear up to all that is expected of her? It is a concern, that is all. I know someone else who continually feels his abilities are questioned because of his youth. She is not so much younger than yourself. Besides, we do not know of all she has experienced. Derry took a preparatory breath. May I speak frankly? You may always be frank with me, Derry. I must confess I have been asking myself this past week how you would think that we would be a suitable team. Derry had trouble meeting his lord's eye. It's not that I doubt you exactly. It's only that she seems so wild and unrefined. We are not alike at all. I don't actually agree with you there, Dunvarin said, and Derry looked up. I think you share quite a few traits, in fact, though I did not suggest that you should work together because you are alike. It's often the differences between companions that make them stronger together. Dunvarin leaned forward. A good leader will seek out a person's strengths and nurture them. The weaknesses often solve themselves. And Derry, he added, she did study the Wepnian. Derry raised his eyebrows. This was the first he'd heard of that. Though she is still not flawless, Val said, that ought to count for something. Derry tipped his head to the side. Yes, I grant you that, the discipline and all, in her fighting, perhaps. But she seems to take no situation seriously. She always has some witty comment to throw in, whether or not it is appropriate. I think you know that is an exaggeration on your part. She takes a good many things seriously. Besides, there are often times when a witty comment is the perfect solution to a problem. Perhaps it is possible that you take things too seriously? Derry's heart dropped. I have to uphold my position. And you do. Know that you always have my confidence. Derry raised his head as if needing to feel worthy of that confidence. Don't be too hasty to judge others, lad. If you accept and respect the ways in which people are different from yourself, you may find that you can learn something from them. From Kier? Dunvarin nodded, whether you like it or not. Kier gazed around her, a little overwhelmed at all the weaponry there was to choose from in the armory. Short swords like her old one, all the way up to a massive greatsword. Clubs, maces, morning stars, battle axes, lances, pikes, halberds, and every conceivable kind of hand weapon. Short bows, long bows, light and heavy crossbows. It was the hugest collection of deadly devices she had ever seen, even if they were blunted for practice. She felt suddenly small and rather green. Pretty amazing, huh? said a cheerful voice at her side. Lots to choose from. Too much, she said. And just think, Fennel went on, this is only the practice weaponry. Just wait until you see the real armory. It's unbelievable. Why, there must be ten times as much stuff in there as there is in here. So what are you going to use? I'm partial to the longbow myself, as you probably know, and it's an excellent distance weapon, but I also like to practice my up-close combat. I need to work on my sword arm. I generally use a bastard. You do too, right? The elf picked up a four-foot cut-and-thrust weapon with a handle allowing for both a one- and two-handed grip. Yes, was all she managed to say before he spoke again, but this time she listened carefully, for he had lowered his voice. Now listen, Valraker likes us to practice with different types of weapons so that we learn how each one is used. That way we learn how to defend against all types. But look at old Sourpuss over there. 
The elf gestured to where Janik was intently eyeing the battle-axe collection. He'll choose a battle-axe as close as possible to the one he always uses. He doesn't see this as a chance to train, but a chance to show you up. He's been dying to do that since the night we left Wanaka. I don't know what his problem is, but that's Janik, all right. So my suggestion would be that you find a sword as close to your own as possible. Don't try to fight him with something unfamiliar, or he'll beat you in no time. He may beat you anyway, but that's all right. Just don't let him do it without working up a sweat, okay? Though she would never have believed that Valraker would have an idiot in his party, Fennel's endless chatter gave one the first impression that he was a scatterbrained fool, and his perpetually good-natured disposition masked any ability to detect a disagreeable quality in anyone. Kier had a new respect for him now that he was unveiled as a shrewd and cunning observer. She found a bastard sort of similar weight and length to her own, just as Valraker entered with Derry. "'Are we ready?' the Duke asked with a hint of eagerness in his voice." Out on the field, the opponents faced each other. She had known Janik was large, but his size truly struck her now, hardly shorter than she, with arms as thick as her thighs and legs like tree trunks. And he had to have been at least twice her weight. She swallowed. They crossed weapons and bowed in the customary agreement of goodwill, though the grimace on Janik's face suggested to Kier that his gesture was not heartfelt. She focused her concentration inward, blocking out the observers on the sidelines, the curious castle soldiers who had time enough to watch Lord Valraker's people in action, especially the woman, the other members of the party, who all but Derry had never seen her fight, Valraker, who would be waiting to critique her later, and even Kean. Yes, she was fully aware of his presence up on the parapet, watching the activities on the field, waiting for... For what? For her to prove to him that Valraker had made a good choice. Breathing deeply, she allowed them all to fade away while she scanned the ground as she had done a week before in the yard of the burnished blade. But even that event was forgotten as her senses and reflexes sharpened. There was no sound in her head, no sound but Brendau's voice running through her mind like a mantra, every instruction he had ever given her, every word of encouragement, every warning. Then she was ready. She looked directly into Janik's eyes, and even he faltered at her emotionless face and her deep green eyes that showed not a hint of fear. He was doubly confused half a second later when she gave him a slow, pleasant smile. Was this the same woman he had growled at during breakfast? She swung, and he suddenly awoke to the clang of his battle-axe blocking a ferocious attempt at his lead arm. They were off. "'You sure have caused a lot of trouble on this trip,' he said. "'Maybe.' She just about caught him in his right tree trunk. I hope you don't expect us to fight your battles for you. Nope, I don't. Clang! She redirected his swipe to her left arm. Why would I? You're a girl, he sneered. Yep, she agreed, not lending any more meaning to his statement than it warranted. A slash toward his shoulder, a cut near her leg. A few moves later, he came out with his next flurry of verbal attacks. Rumor has it that you're considered good-looking he said sarcastically. "'That's so?' she said with feigned delight. "'Thanks, Janik.' "'I didn't start it,' he grunted. "'I've seen better-looking humans lying dead on the battlefield.' "'Neat!' She was concentrating too hard to take his brow-beating seriously. "'Well, I've never seen... "'Clang!' "'An uglier dwarf!' A bead of sweat trickled down the side of her face. He swung harder for a lack of retort. The stillness between crashes of metal was broken only by their panting. As if the match had been choreographed, they stepped away from each other, Kier exhaling long and slow. (sighs) 
Then they engaged again. He took the opportunity to change the subject. Pretty simplistic moves, he puffed. Shouldn't expect more from a girl. She parried his axe handily with a Braemar block. Working well enough on you, she retorted breathlessly, glad this was just a training match. The dwarf was as deadly as she had been warned. His battle axe was heavier than her sword, and he swung it with unerring speed. Now with every swing there was a grunt of exertion from each participant. She cried out as he clipped her shoulder. Shit! A gasp went up from the growing crowd and instantly subsided. Focus! She pulled her mind inward again. Nice one, she said sincerely, calming her breaths. Good thing his blade is only as sharp as his wit or he'd have sliced my arm off. She pivoted on the balls of her feet, and muscles straining thrust his weapon away and countered with a sweeping charlon blow to his midriff. He didn't expect the move, and though he tried to dodge it, she did snag him, her sword scratching a silvery line in his armor. Hooray for the breastplate, huh? He was not as gleeful about this observation as she, and changed his tack again, trying deviously to shake her concentration. Slept with every officer in shale yet? She exhaled fully. <sighs> "'Whoa! We get to go all the way to Nenya together. Better save some insults for the road.' Grinning wickedly, he dodged her backhand strike, and lunging, managed to poke her in the chest with the blunt curve. He took a step back and steadied himself. Kier welcomed the chance to inhale. Suddenly he darted forward, his hands separated on the shaft of the axe, and knocked her sword upward. It described an arc over her head, but she stayed with it in a one-handed penning maneuver, spinning around and clapping him on the back of his helm with the flat edge. Ooh, fancy, she said. You got elf blood in you? She could feel fatigue setting in. Dwarves were renowned for their stamina, and she was only being realistic in admitting that she would have to give in soon. The dwarf sneered. Stupid. Oh, excellent comeback, she lashed forward again. With a svelke twist, she locked her sword behind the outer curve of his blade. The opponent stood their ground, her comparatively slight yet muscular form unwavering in the shadow of his dwarven bulk. His breath was hot on her face. Their eyes at the same level, he glared at her while she returned the gaze coolly. Well, I'm tired, she announced, and I'm ending this match before you decide to kill me. She gave him a shove and wrenched her weapon free. "'Giving up so soon?' the surly dwarf taunted. "'Afraid you'll lose?' "'Knock it off, Janik,' she replied, and swallowed to moisten her dry throat. <sighs> Panting, she added, "'Listen, I have no idea why, nor do I really care, but you've clearly made up your mind to hate me.' The dwarf made a grunting noise. "'Well, let me just assure you of one thing, my friend.' You may not care to do the same for me, but I'll watch your back because you're part of Valraker's chosen team, as am I. Outside of that, go ahead and think whatever you want about me. I'm equally resolved to disregard you completely. She pivoted and walked away and felt him staring at her back as sharp as the point of a knife. The audience applauded and cheered. Kier took several even breaths as she approached them and had all but caught her breath by the time she reached her friends. Several people clapped her on the shoulder. Derry said, well done, and Fennel pumped her hand. I was worried there, I must confess. Excitement glittered in the elf's eyes. But you gave him a run for his money, that's a fact. You were right to stop when you did, though. He's stronger than I am, without a doubt, Kier conceded, glancing at Valraker, who listened with interest. But it was a good challenging match. I'd do it again if somebody could guarantee that he wouldn't really chop my head off. Valraker nodded with a satisfied gleam. 
Excellent. Have yourself a rest and meet me back here after lunch. Who shall we see next? How about fennel and dairy? Come on, lads. Janik stalked away, brushing off all congratulations offered to him. The session's over for now. Kier headed back to the castle with Derry for the midday meal. Derry was particularly quiet. It was not uncommon for him to have little to say, but this silence had more depth. Kier had the sense that the man was observing her. They walked side by side along the path, aiming for the door that accessed the rear passage to the main floor of the castle. They both reached for the door handle and stopped. After the slightest hesitation, they looked at each other, Kier recognized Derry's instinct to open doors for ladies, and at the same time knew he had arrested his habitual action for her sake. He was too polite to provoke her, and Kier knew it was the wrong time to prove a point. She let her hand drop. They walked wordlessly along the dim passageway, the only sounds their footfalls and the slight clink of Derry's armor. They became aware of approaching voices farther on around the corner, and after a few paces could make out what was being said. He said it was so easy, melted her with a single kiss, and she was all over him, he said. Valraker's new friend, on their first night here? Kier and Derry stopped in their tracks at the mention of Valraker's name. Kier's heart tightened. Sir Frederick said she was one of the best he's ever had. Derry looked at Kier in confusion, as if desperate for her to tell him they weren't talking about her, but she couldn't hide the truth. Aiden's breath, Valraker's got good taste then, has he? So is Sir Frederick. <laughs> Their laughter reverberated down the echoey tunnel. Derry's confusion became disbelief, and Kier stared straight ahead with a stony expression. The two young men emerged from around the corner and recognized them. The laughter ceased. They looked to be in their early twenties, old enough to know that their futures in the castle guard could be very short if these two wished it. The tension in the tight corridor was like heavy air before a storm. After an interminable stillness, Kier spoke. I won't pretend we didn't hear every word that just passed between you. Where did you get this information? She said with remarkable calm. The young men glanced at each other uncertainly. Her voice rose only slightly. Answer me. Uh, the taller one cleared his throat. <clears throat> it was, uh, well, Sir Frederick was telling Sergeant Lady, miss, and I happened to be nearby... So you were eavesdropping, she clarified. No, miss, Sir Frederick knew I was there. I see. And how many others have heard this little tale? Not many, miss, he assured her. Sir Frederick told me not to tell anyone. I see, she said again. Her eyes snapped pointedly over to his friend. And what else did your friend here not tell you? She watched him squirm as he took in her sword hilt, the cuts and slashes in her armor, and the sturdiness with which she carried herself. She watched it dawn on him that she was not to be trifled with. Uh, well, uh, you see, he stammered, embarrassed to repeat the words. Sir Frederick said you told him you would show him how you found favor with his lordship, and, well, there has been a lot of talk, you know, about why Lord Valraker would have a woman in his group, see, and Sir Frederick said you probably went with his lordship as well. Kier's breath came in short puffs of outrage. That bastard! To not only tell people they had slept together, which was bad enough, but to deliberately misinterpret her words and spread rumors about her and Valraker? Insufferable. Seething, she itched to draw her sword. Instead, she clenched and unclenched her fists. 
Where is he now? she asked slowly, her voice grinding like iron on stone. She stared into the shadows between them in an effort to maintain control. I believe he's on the west battlement, one of them said. She didn't care who. Stabbing the meat with one final glare, she pushed past them. She practically ran. Why would he do such a thing, boast carelessly to his friends about his association with her? How many others had he told? And what would Valraker do when he found out? Which he surely would. Shame shuddered through her. She should have trusted her gut feeling that he was not good enough for her. She, who had always prided herself on her judgment of character and selective tastes in men. Barely seeing through the sea of red, she plowed through the door and stalked across the foyer of the castle, her boot heels tolling her anger. Derry was aghast. Not that she had slept with Frederick. No, it was the other issue that gnawed at him. How dare that damned Frederick insinuate that Dunveran, of all people, would select his members based on... on physical relations... Derry was well aware that his lord had been rather well-known, but to add a woman to his party because she... No, it just wasn't possible. Was it? Surely Kier Halladin was not the soulmate Dunvarin had hoped one day to find. She was much too... Derry had been asking himself what else Kier had done in Wanaka apart from killing Ronav's man. How else had she impressed him? After his discussion with Dunvarin this morning, he had resolved to be more open-minded to Kier's personality, but now... Suddenly he could read dual meanings into many of the things Valraker had said about Kier, and into all the little looks and sidelong glances his lord had shared with her over the past week, even the extra attention she had paid him as he entered the hall for the banquet last night. He felt as if he'd just swallowed an ingot of lead. This is ridiculous. He gave his head a shake. Dunvarin would never do such a thing. And what did Derry care who Dunvarin slept with? He pressed on, hoping to catch up with her. He entered the foyer of the castle and followed the echo of her rushing footsteps across the hall and out the front door. Well now, Kier is pissed off. That's it for Chapter 7, so tune in next week to find out just exactly what Kier does when she is cross. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining me again this week. I really, really appreciate it. Check out the Facebook page. Uh, totally fantastic title, of course. Um, I'm thinking of creating like uh, a cast of characters. So, so posting uh, each chapter and the characters that you meet in each chapter. I, I have to imagine that um, when you're listening to a story, maybe it's harder to keep the characters straight than, than when you're reading the book and don't have that visual. I don't know. But anyway, I wondered if that would help. So I think I'll do that. Check out the Facebook page. Um, I'm, I'm going to get more into uh, posting bits and pieces on there. Should be fun. Also, I have a website, gristawallace.com. It's still under construction. I'm still figuring out what I want it to look like. So uh, be patient, but, but have a look and see what other things uh, I've been up to. And meanwhile, uh, I, I look forward to reading to you again next week. And um, please stay safe. Take care of each other. Special thanks this week goes to Barkerville's Theatre Royal. The show was written and directed by Danette Boucher with musical direction by Patrick Courtin. Check out barkerville.ca. Thanks again to the family, Matt, David, Heather, and Maggie. Of course, 
David and Sharon, the original six, and to you. Now go be fantastic.